The fascination with near-death experiences is entirely understandable. Death is a certainty that we all have to accept. But what happens afterward is a complete mystery to all of us who are still alive and existing in this reality. Some of us may already be familiar with hearing experiences of those who claim to have had near-death experiences. The bright light, a voice speaking to them, that sort of thing. But what about the experiences of people who reportedly go somewhere the opposite of eternal paradise? Some people believe that near-death experiences result from a DMT release to the brain when we die, causing a series of vivid images and sensations that trick those experiencing them into believing that they are having an out-of-body experience. While this may be the case, those reporting that they have had these experiences and live through them are adamant the experience seemed more real than the reality in which they left when they departed their physical bodies. We will never be able to honestly know the answers to these questions until we eventually depart from this world. For now, we can only gain insights from those that have returned from death telling us their stories. Howard Storm was an artist living his best life on an art tour of Europe. It was the last day of their time there, and the group was in Paris. Howard and his wife decided to start their day by visiting the home and studio of Eugène Delacroix before heading back to the hotel to collect the remaining group members for their tour of the Georges Pompidou Centre of Modern Art. Howard was beyond excited to visit the Centre of Modern Art, but returning to his hotel room that morning, he began to feel nauseous. Thinking it was just persistent indigestion he had been facing for a portion of the trip, he took some aspirin hoping it would help alleviate his nausea. Yet, during a conversation with one of his students, Storm felt a searing pain shoot through his abdomen. Storm felt as though he had been shot. But that couldn't be possible. He hadn't heard any gunshots ring around him. So what was causing this unbearable pain? Sinking to the floor, Howard cradled his stomach in his arms, curled into a fetal position, and continued to rock back and forth in severe pain. Storm's wife looked shocked. She had no idea what was happening. Howard had been good moments before, but now he was writhing about the floor screaming. Storm screamed at his wife to get a doctor. While he lay in pain on the floor, Howard tried to focus on how beautiful the day was, and the fact that he was in Paris, the city of light exploring all the art the city had to offer. Everything would be okay, because the doctor was on the way. When the doctor arrived, Howard was relieved. Even though he was in pain, he did not fight against the doctor when he tried to pull Howard onto the bed. But when the doctor began pushing on Howard's stomach, Howard began to fight against him. The pain was too much to handle. The doctor very seriously looked at Howard and told him he needed to go to the hospital straight away. Howard had a perforation in his stomach and would need to be operated on immediately. The doctor called an ambulance and provided Howard with a small dose of morphine to temporarily help with the pain. Howard was mildly annoyed that his perfect trip was being diverted, especially since they were all set to drive back to Amsterdam the next day to catch their flight home. When the ambulance arrived, Howard was taken down by two young men and placed in the back of the small vehicle, 
Howard's wife climbed into the front seat and they raced through the streets of Paris to the nearest hospital. Upon arriving at the hospital, two female doctors examined and x-rayed Howard. After assessing the x-ray films, the doctors confirmed that Howard had a large hole near his stomach. Although unsure of what caused the tear, what was clear was that the surgery needed to be done immediately, or Howard could die. Not wanting to ruin the plans for the rest of the trip, Howard asked if it would be possible to have the surgery in America, but the doctors were adamant that he would not survive the trip. Nevertheless, they assured Howard that he was in the best hospital possible and would receive the needed care. As part of the procedure, a tube had to be inserted into Howard's stomach through his nose, a most uncomfortable but necessary experience if Howard wanted to live. Howard attempted to joke with the team and his wife to make light of the situation. However, they informed him that he would likely need to remain in the hospital for several weeks and then go through a period of recovery at home. Once the preparation was completed, Howard was wheeled out of the emergency room and taken down the street to where the surgery would be performed. Though the hospital staff were as careful as possible, missing some bumps and cracks in the pavement was impossible. With each knock, Howard was reminded of how much pain he was in. But he thought everything would be okay because he was in Paris, and it was a beautiful day. By this time, it was midday, and the flurry of activity had calmed down. Unfortunately, Howard wasn't given any other pain medication, as it would interfere with his anesthesia for the surgery. Thus, he was left in severe pain, and was told to move as little as possible to prevent hydrochloric acid from leaking into his system. Howard didn't know it at the time that it was common practice in Paris for doctors to take the weekends off. Thus, the hospital was understaffed, having only one surgeon working that day. The surgeon was the only one who would perform the operation, and the only one who could administer any kind of pain medication. The tube inserted into Howard's stomach through his nose was causing dryness. Howard could not eat or drink, think of anything but the pain, and lie in the fetal position. Moving, talking, and doing anything really caused extreme discomfort. As the day dragged on, Howard kept asking for a doctor, or at least something to help with the severe pain he was trying to cope with. Eventually, a doctor came around and administered an injection to relax the stomach. But that did little to ease Howard's pain. Each time Howard and his wife inquired about the surgery, they would be told it would happen within the hour. But as the hours passed and the pain worsened, Howard's resolve began to wane. At the time, Howard did not realise that his stoic manner meant that the nurses did not realise how dire his situation was. His wife understood, because she knew him so well. But her pleas to the nursing staff did nothing but cause annoyance and threats to throw her out. Howard's pain was no longer coming in waves but remained constant, getting worse by the minute. He could feel the hydrochloric acid moving through his abdomen and he could feel himself getting weaker. He felt helpless with the staff seemingly indifferent to his agony. Howard didn't know then that his injury was akin to a burst appendix, 
and the general life expectancy, if left unattended, was five hours. By the time the sun had gone down, Howard still hadn't had his surgery. He was informed the doctor had gone home for the evening and wouldn't be back until the following day. Howard knew there was no way he would make it through the night in his condition. He was dying, and he knew it. He turned to his wife, told her he loved her, and said his goodbye through a flood of tears. The last image Howard recalls seeing was his wife sobbing, with her hands pressed hard over her eyes. Howard didn't want to die, but he was no longer afraid. He simply didn't want to be in pain anymore. He knew he would cease to exist as soon as he passed. There was no afterlife. There was no God, no heaven, no hell. There was just oblivion. And Howard knew he was about to drift into a permanent sleep. Suddenly, Howard found himself standing between the hospital bed. Every item in the room, light, sound and smell, came to Howard with incredible clarity. This didn't make any sense. How was he standing? How was he alive? But this couldn't be real. But it was. Howard felt every movement. He felt himself clenching and unclenching his fists. Felt his muscle contract. Felt his skin under his fingertips. But what Howard didn't feel was the pain. He remembered the pain, but he didn't feel the pain. What was happening? Howard's wife was still sitting next to his hospital bed. He tried to call out to her, but to no avail, when something caught his attention. Who was lying in his hospital bed? The face resembled his own, but that wasn't possible because he was standing looking at the body in the bed. That body was no longer him, because his true self, his consciousness, was standing next to the bed. Howard thought that he must be dreaming or that he had gone crazy. That must be it. He was obviously delusional. But that made no sense because he had never felt such clarity. He wanted to speak with his wife but no matter what he did to get her attention, she refused to acknowledge him. He even tried to get the attention of his hospital roommate, but no matter what he did, he wasn't acknowledged. Then he heard voices out in the hallway calling to him, and how strange the voices were, male and female, young and old, all in English too. This confused Howard, knowing that he was in Paris, France, and that apparently he was the only one who would hear these voices, for his wife and his hospital mate didn't bat an eye. Howard seemed unsure. He didn't know who was calling, but the voices told him they had been waiting for him. Howard let them know that he couldn't come out because he was very sick, but the voices said they could help him if he just came out to them. Howard was sceptical because the voices became increasingly irritated with every question he asked. But they told him they couldn't help unless he came out into the hallway. Howard felt that if he opened the door, 
he wouldn't be able to get back. But Howard thought they must have been there to take him to his operation. After all, who else would be calling to him in a hospital? Since everyone in his room ignored him, Howard decided to follow the voices. He knew he needed surgery, and they told him they could help him. As Howard stepped into the hall, things became fuzzy. The clarity in which he had seen, heard, and felt everything in his room suddenly vanished when he stepped out. He could see people, but they were blurred. As Howard tried to get closer to them, they seemed to fade further out of his reach. The atmosphere had become foggy, and it seemed the only way to get to these people was to follow them into the fog. They still wouldn't answer Howard's questions, but they had no problem telling him his concerns were meaningless. Becoming increasingly distressed, Howard just wanted to help, so he kept following them. If Howard hesitated, they would urge him forward by promising him they would solve his problems. What was even stranger was that it appeared the number of people was growing, but Howard couldn't keep count. It felt like he had travelled miles, but every time he looked back, he could still see the door to the hospital room and his wife sitting beside his bed. Howard had yet to learn where they were taking him, nor did he know how much time had passed. The people didn't care to hear Howard's pleas about his pain, how sick he was, or that he needed help. They just kept getting more and more annoyed with him. Finally, they began to whisper about how pathetic Howard was. But he couldn't hear everything they were saying because their voices became muffled when they spoke about him. As Howard continued following them, he realised they didn't know what he was thinking and he had no idea what they were thinking. But he knew that something wasn't right. Howard felt like he was being deceived. He believed that the longer he stayed with these people, the less likely he would escape. Howard began to feel his dread grow. Everything felt too real to him, yet none of it made sense. He now knew this wasn't a dream or hallucination. Howard didn't want to continue with these people, but he hesitated to disobey them because of the insults they were hurling at him. Walking with his gaze down for most of the journey, Howard finally looked up and noticed that he was in complete darkness. He felt even more hopeless now and no longer wanted to follow these people. He wanted to be left alone, but they began to push and shove him. Howard tried to fight back, but they just attacked him more. What was going on? It seemed like they were having fun, taunting him and treating him this way. Fighting them only brought them more enjoyment. They weren't in any kind of hurry. In fact, they were enjoying this playful ruse with Howard. Then, Howard was being torn apart, eaten alive, and all for entertainment. He couldn't see what was happening, but could feel the sensations and hear every sound. It almost seemed like it was ordered chaos. But they felt like humans, but they weren't humans. He knew he was being eaten alive, but couldn't feel any pain. 
The sound was too loud. The torment was too real. Finally, Howard couldn't resist anymore. At the time, he didn't realize how this experience would come to traumatize him in the future. As Howard lay there with his tormentors surrounding him, he heard a voice tell him to pray to God. It sounded like his voice, but that made no sense. Howard didn't believe in God, so why would he pray to him? But the longer he lay there, the more persistent the voice became. Howard didn't really know any prayers, but he began to recite the words he did know. Phrases from the Star-Spangled Banner, the Pledge of Allegiance, and the 23rd Psalm. Anything that sounded godly, Howard spoke. Howard's tormentors became enraged by his prayers. They screamed at him that there was no God, and his prayers were pointless because no one could hear him. Although they screamed, Howard noticed that they were backing away simultaneously. Howard realized that his words to God and about God were causing these beings to retreat. Howard began to realize that although he had trusted these people initially, thinking they were part of the hospital staff, he now realized they were something else and that he wasn't in the hospital anymore. He knew he needed to return, but he didn't know how. His pain paled compared to the pain he had felt when he was conscious in the hospital. As Howard lay in the abyss, not knowing what to do, he realized that his life had consisted of time spent feeding his ego. He didn't have many friends, didn't belong to clubs, and really hadn't liked himself either. But then, Howard realized that the people he was now surrounded by were not that different from him. They were miserable, dispassionate, tormented, and lacking a belief in God. At the time of his hospital stay, Howard didn't believe in God. He didn't see the point in faith, hope, and reliance on others. To Howard, everyone was out there for themselves. Anyone who believed in something beyond did not know the difference between what was real and what wasn't. There was no life after death. You just ended. But now, Howard realized he was in hell. As Howard lay there, broken and torn apart, an old familiar tune crept into his head. He couldn't remember all the words, but remembered three. Jesus loves me. Then, Howard realized that he desperately wanted someone to love him, and that someone was Jesus. He wanted to believe, and he wanted it to be true. With the last bit of his strength, he yelled, Jesus, save me. Then, in the distance, Howard saw a pinprick of light. It looked like it was coming towards him, and he was afraid he would be consumed by it. But then, he realized that the light was a person, and that person was coming to save him. They lifted him up. His wounds disappeared. He felt true love. Love from Jesus. Jesus held Howard in his arms, caressed him as he cried. Then, Jesus and Howard rose together, out of the dark and out of hell. It seemed like they were traveling light years. 
though little time had passed. Howard couldn't hold back his tears as he saw a vast universe in the distance, with stars in motion, a brilliance of white within the universe. Jesus had heard Howard. He saved Howard. But what for? Howard has spent his life denying the existence of Jesus. Now he was ashamed. He couldn't believe how he had rejected God all these years. He felt like he didn't belong. He looked up at Jesus and shared his thoughts, that he belonged somewhere else. Jesus spoke to Howard and told him that they didn't make mistakes, that Howard did belong with him. Then, others approached Howard and Jesus. Being so bright, he shouldn't be able to look at them. But he could. They were radiant and fantastic. They were saints and angels. They could hear his thoughts, but they made him feel unafraid. These beings felt like his family, and they were much closer to him than anyone had ever been. They showed Howard his life, but not how Howard saw it. Instead, they showed him his life, how they saw it, and how his actions impacted others. He was surprised by how they were presenting his history, showing the love his parents had had for him, and how his father's control had led Howard and his siblings to withdrawing emotionally. Love turned to hate, when all Howard wanted was to be loved. Jesus and the angels continued to show Howard more of his life as he became an adolescent. They didn't care about the competitions he won, or those he lost. Instead, they cared about the relationships Howard built with others around him and how they encouraged or hurt each other. Howard saw the other relationships in his life and how so many were unhappy because he was looking for love in all the wrong places. But then, God brought Howard and his wife together and they learned how to love together, to support one another. Through all this, Howard learned that our purpose on Earth isn't to control our outcomes, but to know that our journey is to discover how to be part of God's divine plan. God does not interfere with our decisions, because we must learn from our mistakes. But when we make the right decisions, God is happy, because he knows it has brought us one step closer to him. After a long conversation with the angels that saved him, Howard was told it was his time to return. But Howard didn't want to go back. He was scared he would fail God. He didn't want to be in life without the angels who had guided him in the darkness. They assured him they would be with him always. Suddenly, he was again in the hospital bed in immense pain, gasping for air. He couldn't get any words out. His wife was sent out of the room and several nurses and orderlies were sent in to prepare for the operation he had waited so long for. His wife held his hand the whole way. Howard knew everything would be okay, because he had God and the angels on his side. This story was written by Kylie Deverell and narrated by me, James Deverell. Thank you for listening to this story. If you enjoyed my storytelling, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more Tales of High Strangeness.
I started this podcast off the back of my YouTube channel by the same name, which formerly went by Mr. Sinister. You can check out my older stories, which are still available on that channel. For short-form content, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook via the handle at Tales of High Strangeness. For exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content plus more, check out my Patreon account. If you, or anyone else you know, has a story about anything related to high strangeness, please reach out to me with a brief description to stories at daredeverall.com. I don't need you to write the whole story, so you don't need to worry about being an English major. We'll be doing all the writing. You'll just need to be willing to jump on a call with me so we can have a chat and I can get the whole story. Thanks again for listening.